Welcome to the Healthy Body, Healthy Mind podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kinghorn, co-founder and CEO of HBHM. We're a carbon neutral wellness brand and we're focused on the well-being of our customers and the planet. We produce a range of products designed to support a healthy lifestyle. This podcast is for our community. We will have a range of experts in the health, fitness and wellness space designed to help you all improve many aspects of your life. For listening to this podcast, you can get 15% off our products at hbhm.com by using the code hbhmpod at checkout. Thanks for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of the Healthy Body, Healthy Mind podcast. This week we have Stephen Scully on the show. Scully, or Lion Skull, or the animal as he is otherwise known, is a professional runner from Northern Ireland who is currently training for the Olympic Games Marathon in Tokyo, boasting PBs in the marathon of 2 hours 9 minutes and the half marathon of 61 minutes, both of which are Northern Irish records. He has a senior career spanning over 10 years with appearances at World and European Championships on the road, on track and cross country. We're also delighted to announce that he has become HBHM's first professional sponsored athlete. Uh, We love his dedicated work ethic uh, and never give up attitude and how incredibly open and honest he is about his highs as well as the lows and really wearing his heart on the sleeve and we're proud to be partnering with him. So welcome to the HBHM podcast, Stephen. How are you doing today? Yeah, look, um, here we are in Belfast, I suppose, important to note. Um, really excited about um, joining and supporting the you know, company in the best way basically I can. Um, I, it's, it's interesting to hear back, I guess, some of the accolades and my like competitive brain would be like, I've actually competed for Ireland as a senior at I think 1500, 3K, 5K, 10K, half marathon, marathon, cross country, and mountain running, which is quite probably explains my personality that I didn't just pick one and <laughs> I went rogue with everything. But um, yeah, look, really exciting um, time for me. Olympics not that far away. Um, and yeah, to be here in you know Belfast training and um, to have a company like yourselves come on board is um, really cool. But it's nice to hear those stats back. I like smiling about like my PBs and stuff. And um, but I think more importantly, yeah, the um, my my runnings became way more about um, sharing my own journey, which seemed like a great idea at the time, but then allowing my experiences or my daily struggles to become everybody else's, how relatable that can be for everybody else, I think. Um, and I always get, it's great to hear that, you know, a professional struggles with these things too, or, but like you forget that a professional five years ago was just a human, like everybody, and we're still just a human, you know, you you see all the hype and you, you guess you think the rules don't apply, but actually they do on sometimes on more levels than others. Um, yeah. But yeah, great to be on. Yeah, and good to, good to uh, be in Belfast as well. First time I've been. Thank you yep. for thank you for putting me through my paces this morning. <laughs> up, Absolutely. Up uh, Divis, is it Divis Mountain? Divis, Black Mountain. It's yeah. the highest mountain I suppose we have in Belfast. And um, it's 580 metres maybe. So it's not, it's relatively um i suppose you could say climbable and runnable and as you found out so you can include it within your weekly training and it's not taken away Mm -hmm. from anything else you're doing but also 
one thing I try to do wherever I am in the world is train to the environment you're in. And that's one of the cool things Belfast sort of has to yeah. offer is those climbs and mountain runs like that. And it's like, I think I quoted on the run today. It's like free fitness, the yeah. beautiful views and running up the hills. It's not beating up your legs. Yeah, and it was awesome. yeah, it was really cool. So no, nice to get you out there. Yeah, good. No, thanks for having me. So before we bring it back slightly, let's go into a bit about the Olympics then. So sure. first of all, how did it feel to qualify and get the qualifying? Um, God, you know, the, so I actually started the, my own podcast journey probably about three years ago, two years ago. And the relevance of that is that that was the beginning of let's try to qualify for Tokyo Olympics. And I think as everybody knows, the sport from 20, that was 2018. The sport has really moved in different directions because of new technologies and, and, and shoe wear and all these kind of things. And, and back then to qualify for the Olympics for me was all about um, I, I, we were pinpointing certain marathons that maybe I could come top five in or top 10. And there was all these different ways to qualify for the Olympics. And, um, actually I tell a lie back then the standards for the Olympics hadn't been released yet. And I remember thinking the qualifying time based on all previous Olympics would be around 214 or 215. Bearing in mind recently it had been 216 for Rio, actually maybe 218. 216 for London, you know, these sort of times. And so um, 2018, start of 2019, I run 214.30 and I think job done. You know, the three guys that went to Rio for Ireland were um, 215.15, 215.00, thereabouts. And I thought, so, you know, brilliant. I've punched it. I went the wrong way in Houston, but still managed 214.30. And, um, and really to move in the direction of the question you just asked, it's been, it's been a, it has been filled with highs and lows of then the standards got released a month later and the time was 2.11.30. And I was like, well, well you know, rubbish, I need to go again. Yeah. Um, and then to go again and miss it at Dublin Marathon, which was a brilliant day, but miss it by 30 odd seconds. Um, to then go again three months later and on a day in Houston, which still might be one of my greatest ever races. It was nearly 20 mile an hour winds battled everything, ran by myself, but missed it by 22 seconds. And was at the, I'm at the finish line swearing at the race organizer. Like, I guess I'm going to say in a positive way, but it was definitely negative, but I was being nice about it. <laughs> and I'm going stupid effing wind and all this. And, and he's going, you were so great, man. Like, I'm so proud of you. It was his fault. <laughs> and I'm going, why did you plan it on this day? <laughs> like, um, and, but, then I think about 15 minutes later, my agent happened to mention, you know, you'll have got a really good payday. You were fifth. And my brain went, oh my God, fifth is qualified for the Olympics. Like, don't like go check, you know? And, um, and so he goes and checks, comes back and tells me. And I always remember doing this, like, this like pathetic, like, like, like fall on the stairs. Like, yes. <laughs> and like, but it did mean a lot. Like it was kind of, um, but I, I guess like everything in life, it was a bit short lived because then we moved, uh, um, cancellations, we moved, uh, COVID, we moved, uh, the backlash of will the Olympics happen? Won't the Olympics happen? And, and then from there, it's been, a yeah, like peaks and valleys, as they yeah. say, you know, it's been ups and downs and, 
um, good things happening, bad things happening. And then obviously I flipped the narrative, tried to, you know, I went through this whole retirement phase last summer and um, because of COVID, I suppose, but then I was able to flip the narrative to uh, this could be an opportunity, this could be a fresh start. And then I, I strengthened my position for the Olympics last, the end of last year, you know, I ran 209 um, on a pretty tough day in, in London. And again, that's probably one of the days I'm really proud of because just, I think it's what I've built a reputation of is even on the tough days that I, you know, I grind it out. And I almost, because I built that reputation, I need to live up to that reputation. And that holds me accountable, which I absolutely love. And, um, and it's an athlete I never thought I'd become, you know, I, I, I've been a quitter in life. I've been someone that gives up and, um, to move and, and be how I am now in races is, yeah, it's really, really something to be proud of. And so, um, yeah, quite the journey, a lot of ups and downs in terms of emotions over the whole Olympic cycle. And, you know, here we are 11 and a half weeks out, 12 weeks out. And I'm reading a news report this morning that Sapporo's just gone into high emergency <laughs> lockdown. So, but you have to just like, I think we've got to a place now where we just embrace it. And it's kind of like, I'm going to do my part, which is prepare as best as I know possible. Mm -hmm. And that gives me the best chance if race day happens of being successful. And actually, if I let all the other athletes worry about the noise and the news, the news articles and all the newspapers and will it happen, won't it? Should I invest money in training and should I not? I'll let them do that. Mm -hmm. And whether it goes ahead or not, which I hope it does, I'll just know that I'll be the best prepared I can be. And I'll, I'll be proud of that no matter yeah, what until, happens. Until you hear otherwise, it's going Correct. ahead. So yeah. you've just got to And it's a responsibility. It. I, I come back to your, if you've qualified for an Olympics, it's, a, it's like a blessing, but a responsibility to your country, which is an honor. It's an honor even to be able to write at the end of a training program, Olympic Games. Yeah. And if you can't dedicate... If anybody in their country can't dedicate three months to their country, whether or not it'll happen, yeah. come on, you know. So for me, it's all it was. It was always going to be a very professional build-up. Very um, all the little details. I've I've been doing altitude camp since last November with the Olympics in mind, um, and and yeah. So whether I, I really hope it goes ahead, but whether it does or not, I'll be preparing yeah. for August eighth. Yeah. So on that preparation, then how does the next 11 and a half weeks look like yeah so it's it's you know it's there's there's traditional ways you could say to prepare for marathons and there's things i've done um without i don't need to go into you know my, my training's all online it's all on strava if anybody wants to look at the inner details you can you can do that but um my i was torn between i i actually quoted something the other day about like i don't want to prepare like a sheep because everyone does, everyone follows similar patterns, A, because they work. And that's like, sometimes that's a good idea. Um, but my argument, I guess, was, I think you can draw strength from being a bit different, but I still think you have to keep some of the simple details in place, mm -hmm. A, because they work, and B, because they've worked for me personally in the past. Um, and so I was debating staying in Belfast and preparing in Belfast because I thought there was strength to running over the mountain and, and you know, that being like my mountain and, and yeah. my city. And, and there was a real strength from the home local support. And 
um, and a real buzz around that and a real excitement. But then, and this is the really annoying part, is I then was doing a podcast the other day myself and realized that because of COVID, I was like, I don't want to prepare like a sheep, like everybody else and go to altitude and, and do these things. And then I was like, but everybody else might not be able to go to altitude because of COVID. So actually I have to go to altitude because <laughs> I'm in a position where I can go. So it was quite a, and maybe that's where the podcast has been quite fun over the years that it's I've brainstormed and then I've, and I, that literally happened live. And I was kind of like, oh, because like, altitude's really hard. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, I'm taking, and I guess this is advice for everybody. You don't, to get a little bit better, you don't necessarily need to, you know, the the idea of when you see somebody rip up a piece of paper, scrumple it up, throw it in the bin, um, sometimes you can just tear off the bottom. And, and so I've incorporated more time in Belfast with the local support up over the mountain, preparing, getting the health, happiness. You know, I, I, I this is probably the happiest I've been in a, in a long time. And, and that's great because of the Olympics, but it's also because I'm around family mm -hmm. and I'm around close friends and I've made lifestyle changes to get to this place, but it's still um, useful to go to altitude, prepare. The way my brain works is it, you, I always say like you can, you can cheat others and you can lie to others, but you can't lie to yourself. Yeah. And I have to decide on that plane to Tokyo, will you be okay if you haven't done an altitude camp? And I know the answer is no. Yeah. And so in, um, I think it's in three and a half weeks time, 14th of June, I'll fly to Flagstaff in USA and I'll do a five week altitude camp and then I'll fly to Tokyo. And I know it'll be tough in four weeks to leave, which is amazing because it means I've built a system at home that I'm really excited about, really confident about, and really happy. Um, but also I know that when I get on the plane from America to Tokyo, I'll be like licking my lips thinking, yeah. good, You've you know? And, and if my yeah. competitors, if I, if I was in the village or in Sapporo or in the holding camp, and I say to my other competitors, did you get the altitude? Did you get to this? And they say, no, I know I'll be going, <laughs> oops. <laughs> Cause I know it's that important. Yeah. So um, that accountability, that like holding myself accountable. And, and I guess I, I have a nice balance between life, I was always told train where makes you happiest. If you're a happy runner, will train well, a happy runner will compete well. And I hold myself probably 50 to 70% kind of accountable to that, if that's a thing. The other 30% is just do what you have to do. Mm. Because actually, you can be as happy as you want, but if you're not fit enough for the demands of the race, you can be smiling, but you'll be smiling going backwards. Yeah. And that, so there, there has to be a balance and maybe that's more so in the professional sort of world. But um, I, I, I think of people that do camps for two months and three months and they could be miserable for six weeks of that. But I can tell you now when they're on the plane to the big day, yeah. there's no misery. They're yeah. thinking I'm ready. Yeah, and, and that, so there's that balance, but um, I have a great setup in Flagstaff and um, it'd be really good. And so, Camp going well on that plane. What's the ambition for when you're there? At Interesting. The race. Um, God, you know it. It's. I remember for Doha. Doha was world champs. Might be two years ago now, and I remember saying, I I said to people top twenty. I said to people top fifteen. I had people say to me top ten, and. And then I get a start list and I was 
my PB then was, what would it have been before Doha? I think it was only 2.14.30. And then after Doha, I ran 2.12. So I'm a 2.14.30 guy. And I'm looking down this start list. And I'm going, you're talking about top 10, top 15. I'm 62nd on the on the list here. Like, what what are we talking about? Like, what are we doing here? And 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 so it's it's difficult to throw out numbers, but I can tell you that my my excitement about training and my application to training, and I really mean this, like I, I can say this, you know, you'd strap a lie detector to me and it wouldn't blink. I still believe there's three medals as it stands up for grabs. Now, as each week moves on, and I've sort of said this in a way that, you know, if I run 90 mile next week, I'm a 209 guy and there's a 204 guy out there does 140 mile and he's getting better and better and he stays healthy. Does he move closer to the medals than me? Probably, that's logic and it's fair. And you know, he's probably putting the time to get to 203, 204. Um, but as far as it stands, I'll finish each day and I'll, it's as if there's an imaginary tick box. And that tick box is, did you do everything today that gives you the best chance of being successful at the games? Tick. And I genuinely believe as each week goes by, you're either moving up two to three places on the day, or you're moving down two to three places on the day. And that's lifestyle choices. That's, you know, everything you're doing around training with nutrition and sleep and, and all these things and, and making decisions like going the altitude and you're either moving towards a bigger result on race day or giving yourself the best chance of a big result on race day or you're moving away. And so would I, I would probably be unhappy if I didn't come top 20. Okay. I would be disappointed because I know I'm preparing well. I know I'm healthy. I, I know right now as it stands, I'm in a better position than I was before London. And my result at London was world-class. Yeah. And I think world-class at the Olympics is probably actually top 16. Yeah. Um, but actually I could get the start list and there could be 50 guys with you know faster personal best than me, but I'm a big day performer yeah. and that I probably again have a reputation for that of being a big day performer where, you know, I don't really, and I'd say give a, a hoot. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear you can, on You this can podcast. if you want, yeah. <laughs> I swear quite a bit on mine. <laughs> but I genuinely like, I'd rip the fucking piece of paper up and say, I don't care who's faster than me. And I'm, a, I'm that kind of performer on race day. I don't, that that's all noise. Numbers are noise because they might not have prepared well. They might not have. And I'm trying to, I haven't got there yet, but I'm trying to decide my kind of mantra for the next three months okay. and I sort of had thought of something like is that it and is that it is so simple and it could either be when we're charging up that hill today is that it in terms of like is that how steep it is is that it's only that level of difficulty for yeah. example or it could refer to is that it in terms of is that all you're willing to give I, I thought you'd give more than that yeah, okay. and so when I'm sitting in a sauna and I'm dying and I literally feel like I need to die and fall on the floor I can ask myself is that it yeah. is that all you're willing to give to the Olympics and so it might be is that it but I haven't quite got yeah. there yet and I think you again that's a lovely piece of advice sometimes you I I went from quitter loser and I've said all these things you can really help yourself with little questions like that I remember a 
coach in about 2006, a British athletics coach, you know, testing me and I dropped out of a session and he said something like, I knew you Irish were quitters and I wanted to beat his face in like, and then I was like, but it, he pushed me in, a, in the way that he knew because everybody else had gone home and I did the full session again and he came up to me and he said, hey, what are you doing? And I said, I'm doing that full session again. And he was really impressed and he said he would wait. He's like, I'll hang around till you're done. And sometimes you need to challenge yourself and if you challenge yourself with the right little words or little phrases, it's almost like, is that it? And I'm sitting this on and I'll go, what? Looking at myself, do you challenge me? Yeah. And then you, you, you give something more. And if you've done that every day for 100 days or 95, whatever it is to the yeah. games, again, it just lifts that. And I'm, I'm too smart to not challenge myself on the days that I know it's about recovery or rest. And so... But I'll think of some kind of wee help and guide and I'll, I'll have a wee mantra that'll get me through. And yeah, do, you need, do, you, do you work well having some sort of mantra for your training? Is I that... think so. Like I, I, I think we all do. I've, you know, there's a lot of really good psychology behind giving yourself little... There's days that I'll be struggling, even in London Marathon when I was struggling, little reminders. I think even the people that never struggle, sometimes they struggle. You know, they're very, very struggle, sometimes struggle. So we all struggle, but having little reminders that maybe you are pretty awesome, you know, maybe you can push yourself really hard and, and just reminding yourself that. So when I was really struggling in London, you know, there was, the, like you just said, the animal, there was, there was things, there was little keywords that I reminded myself. And then you kind of go, oh yeah, like shit, I am really hardworking. Yeah. Like, you know, shit, I am a bit of an animal. And, and it's not even like, it's not a trick. It's, it's a trick if you're not an animal. So that would be tricking the brain, but it's not a trick if it's real. Yeah. So where it's real is if you've like, you know, you've put in the work, you've dedicated and you're just reminding yourself of that work. There was a, a psychologist a long time ago said to me, think of sports psychology as a radio. You're driving along your car, radio's playing, a song comes on that you don't want to listen to, you change the channel. And so these little mantras sometimes can just, they buy you. You know, in London, me saying I'm an animal or me saying, you know, I have a world-class running economy, it might've just got me through the next mile, which might've been enough yeah. to keep me in the fight, to keep me going. And, and sometimes that's all it takes. It just takes something really small and subtle and it gets you going another mile. And then maybe you come to the wee downhill section or maybe your drink's coming up or maybe the weather changes a bit and all of a sudden you're on this new lease of life. And um, that, I don't know that I've ever used a mantra personal to a build-up. That's okay. quite new for me. Um, but it's something that I, I think could really help. Like when I made World Cross Country in 06, which is where my international career started, I raced a cross country in Ireland, which I hate. And I just kept repeating the words, Bekele, Japan, Bekele, Japan, Bekele. Every time it got tough, Bekele, Japan, Bekele, Japan. And Kenanisa Bekele would have been racing at world cross country in Japan. And I just really wanted to watch him. Yeah. And, and so Anna really wanted to go to Japan. It was like an honor to go to like, so it's mad that I used it way back then yeah. in 06 before any psychologist had ever and, and it meant that when it got tough, I decided to push when it was really windy, when it was really muddy, 
that was the parts of the race that I really pushed. And I just repeated those two words. And I reminded myself of why, why am I pushing this hard? What's the suffering for? What's it? And when you remind yourself that, if your goal is to lose weight, if your goal is to be a bit happier, you're reminding yourself of why you're doing it. It it makes the journey that it doesn't even have to be easier. It just makes it more worthwhile because you're giving yourself those little reminders. There's a purpose to this. There's a... Um, and so, yeah, like it, I, I never say things like, you know, your why or anything. I, I hate all this kind of stuff. Like, but, but similarly, like once you've decided why you want to be successful at the Olympic Games, how you can do that, what's the training look like, how you're going to get through that training and then break it down to what little things, because I say to myself on a daily basis to get through those tougher parts, not just to be successful in Olympic Games, the training can't just get it done. You have to do it well with the intention because the more you push on these days, like today or yesterday or in the heat chamber or you know doing a fast run around the park, the better these days go, that's all practice for ultimately the big day, which yeah. is the toughest. And then, so right now, at the end of every day, you're ticking it off and you're, you feel like you're getting closer to that medals at the moment. Correct, and, and like I say, you're either you're either getting closer, you're either keeping yourself in a medal position or you're moving away. Yeah. And that's, there's no, there, there's no alternative. And life's about balance. So not every day, not every day to get closer to the medals or is about pushing hard. Actually, sometimes your responsibility is to do nothing, yeah. you know, so, and, and do it well, you know, rest well. Like don't, oh, I'm going to have a rest day, but I'm going to hike, you know, the mornings. Yeah. And so... It's knowing that balance of give and take and it's easy to fall into a trap of pushing and pushing and pushing. And we, I spoke with a, an athlete in, in Flagstaff who's been, you know, the Olympics before. I think he's been to 10 world champs since, you know, they sort of began. He's a, you know, he's a brilliant athlete. And he told me about the Olympics that of the 100% field, 30% will overtrain. 30% won't make it because of injuries, et cetera, et cetera. And you're pretty much racing, you know, the final 40. And, and I believe that. Now, that is true. But just which one are you going to fall into? And that's always, the, that's always the balance between, and especially in a sport like running, there's, there's, there's sports you watch. And like, I don't know how they do it. You'll see boxers in a sauna for an hour, shadow boxing and, and all this cool stuff. And I just don't know that you can do that as a runner. Running's more of a daily, daily, giving it quite a decent amount, but never too much that it's going to take away from maybe the next two days or three days. And finding that balance between that Rocky Balboa mentality, but also a level of professionalism that means I'll not get injured. I'll not get, you know, we, we have lots of athletes that are brilliant athletes, but they, you know, seem to push themselves to, and I sometimes push themselves to injury, sorry, Dan, to, to finish that. But I seem to, sometimes I'll call myself lazy. And I don't know if it's laziness or it's just intelligence to not overdo it. And I've kind of got to a place where from 2012, 2013, 2014, 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, one minute PB, two minute PB, one minute PB, two minute PB. And I've got faster every year for the last probably now definitely from 17 18 19 20 21 and so maybe when i talk about that laziness i'm either going to say it genuinely is a laziness but it's healthy 
because it's combined with a huge drive and a huge stubbornness. And you want to see me trying to change the back wheel of a scooter the other night. And I was, my, my fingers are cut and I'm, or down at the track when the bike chain got caught on the back of the, and my mum's like wanting to cry her eyes out going, Stephen, stop. And I'm pulling this chain and like, there's not an ounce of, like I'm so stubborn and I, I, I my brain would not let me not fix it. I had, like, it's like a need. And I suppose with running, I have that drive and that stubbornness, but also, I combine it with some evenings. I'll just be like, oh, I really can't be bothered yeah. going out tonight. And so there's there's a healthy obsession, but there's also a little bit of a laziness there or a contentness that holds me back at times that has probably led to this really flourishing and naturally progressing career. Yeah, awesome. So you're obviously progressing right now, but you mentioned there about 2006. Mm-hmm. I think there's results for you online back to like 2000. So. How did it all begin? How did the um, morning journey begin for you? Yeah, good question. Um, so my sister actually took up um, running and I guess then I, whether I was forced, whether it was a choice, I was brought to the running club and, um, you know, was, was, I think I was pretty good, but I wasn't like, my results have definitely got better as the years have gone on. So, um so it began, the answer to that question began because my sister took it up and I was brought to the club. I was pretty good. They were keen to keep me there. Then it moved in different directions and different coaches and um, different races, cross country, track. Um, what then changed, I guess, for me was doing the right training. Knowledge is so 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 important um in the sport as in like if you there's so many athletes i think one of the biggest reasons i try to give back to the sport is because so many athletes are willing to try really really hard like put loads and loads of effort in um but they just don't know what to do or they're being led in the wrong direction or and and it's not anybody's fault like these coaches are giving up their free time but they might have just done a coaching certificate you know they haven't and so the more knowledge you have of what it takes to be good then you apply the little details and probably in you know like 20 2008 i was told it's not the two hours a day you train it's what you do the other 22 hours that's an easy saying but you would ask someone what are you supposed to do in the other 22 hours a day and they'd go I don't know, not drink. And it's like, well, there's way more to it than not drink, you know? Like, um, and so I think I, I quoted once, like, I'll do everything that I know and my knowledge has to be better, but I'm still limited to what I know, right? And, and it might be something as simple as to win an Olympic gold medal after every run, you're supposed to do 10 bunny hops but I don't know that. So I don't do 10 bunny hops. So you can only really apply as much knowledge as you have or your coach has. And, and so how I've got better over the years, my ability has never changed, my level of talent and all these things, my drive. I've just learned how to basically put more, more time as one, but use my time wisely for things that will actually make me better on race day and better prepared and that can be the actual training what i put into my body both psychologically physically food 
hydration, all the, all the little details that you could possibly imagine. One of the big turning points was watching the Team Sky Marginal Gains documentary. And I seen levels of detail that I just didn't know. I'm going to say a quote that is like, there's no rules in running. There is, which means don't cheat. Yeah. Don't cheat. <laughs> but there's also no rules in terms of how much you want to train, what level of, you know, you could race someone and you could, they'll beat you and you'll be like, how the F did you beat me? And they go, do you know I sleep in an altitude tent? And you go, what? You know, we're running 235 marathon and you're sleeping in a bloody altitude tent. That's cheating. And it's not. So there's no rules in terms of how you get to the start line as long as it's within the rules of the sport and no cheating. And so to watch these cyclists bring in their own mattresses, bring in anti-allergy sheets and duvets and, and, and air humidifiers and snacks. And, and I was like, wow, like I didn't get, I kind of look back at 10 years ago when I wanted to be successful and I realized you had no idea, kid. And then it moves to, I've spent time in places in America where athletes have enough money to pay people something like maybe a hundred quid per session to pace them. And I'm just thinking, what? Like, and then I'm, I've watched athletes who their coach is a physio. And so every day they get physio pre-run, post-run. And look, there's no rules, you know, there's no, you're not, you're not, the rule isn't you're only allowed physio three times a week. The rule isn't you're not yeah. allowed to pay pacemakers. But my biggest piece of advice, and it's what I've done in Belfast, is make it work for you. You know, find a friend that does treatment. Yeah. Find a coach that's willing to help you. Find a buddy who's willing to bike with you and ask him for help. It's hard to do all this by yourself. I have a wonderful support team, a huge support team that would be very difficult to thank them all. Um, but if you find athletes have underwater treadmills, athletes have cryotherapy chambers, athletes have their own saunas, athletes have a ridiculous amount of, some companies have so much money they can pump so much, but, um, Find what works for you. Find what what's near you. You know, you don't want to drive an hour to get on an underwater treadmill in an hour home or it's yeah. not really beneficial. But you can really make your own little setup work. And the more I've learned about how to get better, and then I, I have this like idea that when I watch these great athletes and I train with them and I'm, I'm so lucky to get to spend time with them, if I didn't, if I watch, if I train with Mo Farah and he warms up for 25 minutes, and then he does a session and then he warms down and then he stretches for 30 minutes and I go home and I keep doing what I was doing. That to me is like insanity. Yeah. I, and I, do, I can't understand how so many coaches and athletes have so much useful information online, all these things, but they stick to their, what they think, yeah. you know, cause Mo's obviously got it wrong being the double <laughs> yeah. Olympic champion. Yeah, one thing that is to win. And I've been so good over the years at watching and then applying, not always applying it like, like exactly the same, but taking little parts of it, whether it's nutrition stuff, whether it's, you know, actual training components and applying it to my program. Now I've always been like, hey, you're already pretty good. So we don't need to rip the whole piece of paper up and scrumple it up and throw it in the bin. Let's just take little parts of it. And we'll move it around and we'll test it. And and yeah, it's really led uh, a, a nice progression. And um, 
And then like, I guess one of the biggest changes for me was the, the psychology behind sport. I, I always say I've, I've always found life a lot tougher than, than running, but then maybe as running's got better, that's a direct, um, correlation with life getting better, but also the lessons that I've sort of dealt with in sport have directly, you know, led to like improvements in life. And, um, and, and that's a really cool thing. And I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of talk out there now of how sport really helps life and helps. Um, I would imagine 50 to 60% of the runners in Belfast and I would imagine 75% of the runners in Belfast, whether they know it or not, run for their mental health. Yeah. And they, they might not even, they might not admit to that, but even if you're running just to lose a bit of weight, that's for your mental health. Yeah, it's gonna impact it. So well, yeah. I, it could be more, it could be 95% for all I know, whether they know it or not, and the 5% that aren't are running for the bus. And <laughs> like, and, and again, that's for their mental health, they actually catch the bus and not miss. But seriously, like, um, and one of the times that I retired, which is <laughs> one, probably one like, of the times you retired. <laughs> it's probably like a good five or six retirements at this point. But anyway, one of the times that I did retire, one of the really nice things about coming, one, one of the really nice things about taking 18 months away, and I wasn't, I was good when I retired. This is probably like 2014. I was pretty good. But all I wanted was sponsorship and, and money and, and free shoes. And I wanted all that. And I was like, running's doing nothing for me. And I'm living in this attic in London. I mean, I'm paying 600 quid a month to live in this little attic and I'm skint and, and I'm all these things and I don't have free gear. And, and then I took all this time off. And if my confidence was a line, it just went down. And, and you know, my, my happiness just went down and like my body image just went down. And the reason I call it body image versus body size, or it's what do you think of your body? Yeah. And for the first time in my life, probably 18 months into retirement, I'm a guy that goes home, takes almost every item of clothing off except for my boxer shorts and walks around the house in my boxer shorts. No idea why. Um, but it was probably one of the first times in my life that I was walking around and had to wear a shirt and wasn't, wasn't comfortable in my own skin. And it was probably less about body size. It was more about body image, what I thought of myself, but more when your confidence, what you don't get that happens on a daily basis with running is, oh, that hill's really long and big and the wind's in my face and this is so steep and I'm working so I don't know if I can do that. And then you do it and you get over the hill and you go down the other side and you go, wow, I did that. And that's a daily, almost a daily thing, you know, and then you go for lunch and one good deed or one habit leads to another. And then you're like, I'm not gonna have a muffin today. That race is coming up in two weeks. And so you don't have the muffin. And then all of a sudden you're like, that was a great discipline decision. And like running gives you way more than personal bests, faster times, you know, prize money or things like this. It's a daily, daily lovely thing coming back. And it's it's what you're doing for yourself. You're doing it. You're, you're gaining so much. I don't think people even recognize how much they're gaining from it until they stop doing it. And then they go, wow, like, you know, my life's changed quite a lot. I'm probably not for the, the good, but, but of course there's a fine line of over obsession. I know people that won't eat McDonald's, won't eat chocolate, you know, until the next big race. And that's taken levels of discipline to, but I also don't fault anyone for what way they want running to work for them. Yeah. I can only talk about what it's done for me and how it's helped me. and. 
um, how I think it could help other people. But um, yeah, like it, it's it's been a journey of getting physically better as a runner, mentally more happy about my running. I talk now about being on the start line and thinking I've already won because yeah. I've got to the start line and you know I've, I went through the struggle of the build up, but also yeah, just like that idea that you're not yeah maybe you make yourself almost invincible because you get your psychology to a place that the race result doesn't matter it's important but like you know there's bigger things in life going on than you know just running yeah. but but it is important to me and it's huge obviously it's my life it's my job it's my passion but um i think i've just got into a really healthy and good place with running that yeah i'm a bit invincible almost and and i love that that i I used to have bad days and really struggle psychologically and beat myself up and be pissed off during the session. And, and now when a session's not going as well, I'm, I'm in the mental place and stability that I can take a wee step back almost out of body and go, well, hey, just focus on your technique today. How's your shoulders? How's your arms? How's your breathing? Let's get through this one, but let's still gain something from it, whether we're practicing the way I carry my arms or where I hold them or not tensing up my shoulders. And rather than what most people listening probably do, like is is oh, tense up and fight it and try to get back on pace. And you'll never ever run a PB fighting from the gun to the finish. Never. So it has to be relaxed and it has to be comfortable both physically and mentally. And and practicing that is really important. Yeah. Awesome. And I think during your career yeah I mean you touched on some of them there mm. you've had a lot of challenges through your career so mm -hmm. what what's some of the biggest challenges you have had and how have you overcome them um so I mean there has been multiple when I when I talk about different retirements they were all for some were for silly reasons some were emotional on like drinking or bad habits and um some were a combination of both yeah. there was underlying um, psychological issues that then led to um, maybe me drinking and then heavy drinking led to me making a decision about retirement but there was never I think there's an idea that I've went on a night out in a really great place had a load of drink and then woke up and retired that's not the case at all that alcohol can only magnify feelings that have already pre-existed and so probably, probably the first struggles I had with running was the, the, I'm living in an attic, there's no income, I'm not sponsored, I'm not quite good enough. Um, and that retirement led to me going and becoming a website developer. And I had a problem, no income, living in an attic. And I wish back then I could just, I, I love the whiteboard now, even though I don't own one. And I, I did in Flagstaff, but I don't in Belfast. And I, I wish that kid then could have went, you know, there's a, and I, don't, I hate to get sidetracked, but there's a, the psychiatrist, Dr. Steve Peters says, you know, moan for 15 minutes and I'll listen. And if we get to 15 minutes, you know, you've done either really well or, and I wish that kid back then could have moaned as much as he could and then thrown all the moaning up on the whiteboard and gone, right, no income, let's do something about that right, you know, living in this attic, are you not happy in the attic or is this an ego thing? Like, do you want to fancy it? What do, what do you want? And then I probably didn't have to take a year and a half out of the sport, but I did and I learned web design and it led to uh, 
my first ever comeback after my first ever retirement, but I was coming back as a web developer that didn't need sponsorship and had a nicer apartment. And, and I guess maybe everything in life happens for a reason. And, um, so that was kind of the first issue. And that one was kind of easy, not easily fixed, but I learned to build websites and generated my own income and didn't depend on sponsors or didn't need sponsors. Um, and, and that created a real sense of backing yourself, funding yourself, which was really nice. Um, and then my most recent, and again, this is going to be a, it's my most recent public retirement, which was the drinking. Um, but the, the kind of story behind it was a little bit of COVID was a little bit of what I touched on at the beginning that run moved in this crazy direction with new technology and new times being run. And with that comes what people don't get is technology's moved forward and running times move forward and, and shoe technology has helped. But when you're when you're dedicating your life to something, all the little details, all the time, all the emotional energy, all the ups and downs, and you apply yourself as best you know how and as much as you know how and you have a successful result, you come second in Dublin Marathon or you come fifth in Houston with a 20 mile an hour wind and and then like you you're generating negative publicity because people are questioning the results saying is it because of x you know shoe wear is it because of these new technologies what a fucking kick in the teeth and it almost like i don't let a lot of things upset me but i i kind of was like well i was i was like i'm done like i'm done why would i how can i win you know like they, there was never a comment about, you know, Stephen Scullion raced and so did the 50 other elites yeah. in these new shoe technologies and he came second. Mm. Amazing. Well done. It was always these little shitty comments and I just thought, how can you win? No more is an athlete going to run well and the first question isn't going to be what shoes did they wear? How much did the shoes help? Like, it's not going to be, did that athlete train really hard? Did that athlete go to altitude? Did that athlete spend four years away from his family? I've often moved to psychological spaces where I've decided that family, friends, relationships are a weakness. I give all these things up to, to be the athlete and be the best athlete I can possibly be. It was a mistake, but that was 2018, 2017. I had this idea that missing home, missing family, missing a girlfriend, missing friends was a weakness. And I decided, you know, fuck that. I'll not miss any of that. I'm this hard man, you know, tough as nails, don't miss anything. And and then for the sport to move to that place, I didn't choose it to move to there. I just reacted and responded to match the competition. And, and then for you basically to get no credit anymore for race results to me was a bit of a farce. And then it moved to COVID and races being canceled. And I just thought this sport's fucked. Like, you know, it's fucked because it's gone to shit because of shoe technology and everybody kicking up a fuss. It's now gone to shit because there's no races in the sport that I love, you know, big day marathons, yeah. big, big support on the, the course, whether it's London, Dublin, Belfast. Um, and so I was just in a, in a bad spot. I, I started to think, being fit was a waste of time, you know, sitting on the couch, being fit, like what the fuck use was it? And I joked one day that 
you know, I can run 10K in sub 30 minutes and that's only useful if the fucking co-op was closing in 30 minutes and it's six mile away. I got it. You know, like I was just, and I was in this real, so then I, you know, probably had I not, and you know, I've since given up drinking and, and really stuck to that. Had I not went out and got totally pissed, I'd have spoke to my psychologist at the time, probably got over it, felt, worked out a way to deal with it, like a mature adult, and and moved on. Whereas I went out and had about 10 pints of Guinness, three Sambucas, a couple of Jaeger bombs, a couple of Vodka Red Bulls, and then went home and decided at 4 a.m. to retire and said, thanks very much, Ron, I've retired. And, and, and I'm laughing now that it really wasn't funny because I woke up to quite a big backlash and and actually what was so about four newspapers wrote articles about it and i'd totally forgot now that this even happened until i woke up and and then i was like i gotta go back to sleep because i'm dying so i went back to sleep and then i woke up again probably about two o'clock in the afternoon um and what was really nice was the amount of lovely feedback that it generated like please don't you know you've still so much to give and um and nobody really ripped into me. I've never really had much negativity written about me or, um, and like I'll move on to that in a second, but I basically had a decision to make. Um, do I retire for not, it, take the drink away. It was the, it was the direction the sport's gone in. It was the no races. It was the, I didn't sign up for this. It was the hard done by attitude. And, and then I just decided not to retire to sign up for this new challenge, which was if you, if you generate shitty publicity after a race because of what shoes you wear, like, what can you do about it, you know? Um, you're just trying to match the competition, as all companies are and brands. Um, if there is no races because of COVID, what can you do about it? It's not your fault. It's not, you can plan time trials. You can plan ways to test your fitness that if, a race does get um, cancelled, you can still do, bring it back into your control. And so I kind of re-signed up and then a week later found myself in Fontainebleau at altitude. And honestly, I didn't even know if Mo Farah knew who I was. And he, I've raced him a few times and spent a bit of time with him. And he, you know, on one of the runs said, Scully, didn't you retire like a week ago? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, well, happy out of retirement. And, and on we went and, you know, 10 weeks later, you run 61 you know, 08 for half marathon and 209 for the marathon. And yeah, it was probably quite the journey, but I guess why the retirement and, and what people think of me, you could say, people say, don't worry about what people think of you, but you know, we all do. And I think over my whole career and my whole journey, I've become a person that sometimes I genuinely don't even recognize i'm like because i'm really proud of the person that i've become whether it's um pulling up to tesco last week ladies cars broke down front wheels smashed and i walk past and say can you not fix it do you want me to fix it and i i just like that's that to me is steven scullion like great runner but you just want to become a good person which is why you know, maybe why I started the podcast in the first place was to give back. I've, you know, never ever 
yeah, never ever like monetized or, you know, asked for anything from the podcasters or, um, and I genuinely just wanted to give back and, and be, it means more to me to be a good person than to be like a fast runner. There's a lot of fast runners that are dicks and I, I doesn't do anything for you. I'd rather be that good person that one day, and I joke all the time now, and it's kind of a joke and kind of not, but it's kind of like if I were to die, because of what I've given back, podcasts, YouTube, talking to people, like far more people would want to come to my funeral now and say really nice things mm. than would have four years ago. And that's, that's a really nice that's a really nice feeling inside yeah. to know that people would say lovely things about you versus like he was a bit of a dick. Yeah. Like. And but uh, you know, even on my, on the, the run we did today, yeah. it struck me that you were, you know, any people we met on the run that were out walking, you were genuinely, you know, happy to see people out, yeah. being active, whether they were running or walking, and you really sort of gave them a bit of motivation as well. So it was nice to see. Yeah, and, and I think, like, if I'm being honest, like sometimes, so. I went to an I went to an Under Armour um, photo shoot, and one of the girls on the photo shoot, Aisha Prattlier, we were getting her makeup done, and Aisha told this lady that she had a lovely face and her hair was really nice. And this lady, like, it was amazing to me. It was like, whether you meant that or not, which is irrelevant. If you did, that's awesome. But if you didn't, she made this lady feel so good about herself and. You know, I was walking around the park yesterday and I told a lady that she had a lovely dog. And and I actually did believe that she had a lovely dog. It was a lovely little cocker spaniel. Um, but I just think it's that's free. And I, I genuinely mean whether you mean it or not. It's it's It comes off way more sincere if you do, of course. But like, I love that there's people out walking. Do I really care if they have a lovely walk? Probably not really. But it's still very nice to be like, have a lovely walk, be courteous to people. When I'm in the park and I'm doing the park run or with the club, I'm always, guys, stick to the left, keep out of people's way. Let's not, I, I want them to have a great time, but I don't want it to be at the cost of the park getting annoyed or people. And I guess I'm just aware of other people's, I'm aware of my surroundings, I'm aware of other people, I'm aware of people's feelings. And I just think it's in my power to make people either feel better about their day or, and I always thank people for, you know, coming off the path yeah. or, and that, you can't really fake that. That is sincere, but there's probably times I'll say, you know, I hope you have a lovely walk. <laughs> like, but they probably are like, that was really nice of him. And then when I'm in England, we have this game in London where we purposely try to speak to the people in the park and they just ignore you. And I say, have a lovely morning. Hmm. They say nothing back, and I go like, "I've probably just ruined her day." Yeah. Like she's like, "Why is he talking to me?" Um, but yeah, I think Belfast in general, and maybe um, Irish people, and and I think you know Scottish people too are very similar. I think we're just nice people. Yeah. You know, we have our ups and downs, and we you know we have problems, and we can be emotional and not. But I think we are at heart. I remember watching Callum Hawkins in the Commonwealth Games collapse, and the rules were. You cannot touch an athlete. The spectators did not know that rule and they watched him suffer. And I remember thinking, if that was in Belfast, you'd have had 20 people surrounding him, picking him up and carrying him to the finish line because that's what we do. We naturally care and look after people. And 
And I remember watching that thinking, why is nobody helping him? Yeah. What are they doing? Like he's lying there on the ground. They're waiting for a medic. Like yeah. help him, you know, hold him, hold his neck, hold his like. And yeah, so like I, I pride myself on trying to be a, you know, I work with a sports psychiatrist or I did. Um, and a bit like the, you're either moving towards an Olympic medal or away. His, the, one of the biggest things that hit home with me, because I'm not perfect, and what you've seen on the run is a very, you know, nice part of me, and a lot, probably what a lot of people see on social media is the lovely parts of me, They're, you know, there's, there's stubborn parts to me, there's, you know, like, and, but his, his theory was you're either moving towards the person you want to be or away, and it's that simple. And once you've decided what type of person you want to be, good person, you know, caring, patient, whatever the, the characteristics you believe are the kind of person that you'd want to be. It, it's pretty simple. You're either moving towards that person or you're moving away. With any decision you make, whether it's, you've, like, you can't not argue with someone. You've argued, but then it's kind of what you do next falls into that pattern. You're either moving towards, you're moving away. Sometimes to move towards the person you want to be, you might not want to apologize and not be stubborn, but maybe you have to because you want to be the type of person that isn't stubborn and isn't. And so that's really helped me in life, just deal with things a bit better. And because I try to take myself out of what just happened and back to, well, what kind of person do you want to be? Do you want to be supportive? Do you want to be caring? Do you want to be not stubborn? And, um, and, and I guess maybe maybe it comes back around and feeds back into running. I think the, I think I'm definitely happier, which I think makes the training easier. I've noticed the happier I've been, the less I struggle in harder sessions. I don't struggle psychologically anymore the way I used to. I used to, um, I called a doctor up. God, this is crazy, but it was last September, which was pre post half marathon where I'd ran really well, or maybe pre half marathon where I ran really well. And it was the first time that I cried my eyes out to my sports doctor at home, Alan Rankin. And I bawled my eyes out, like just saying, I'm not okay. I'm, I'm really not okay. And, and he, you know, he, he was really sincere and, and you know, what's been going on. And, and they then put it in motion that I would talk to this psychiatrist and I would finally get on top. And I had this I had this kind of like what I used to call like, and I did like I did a YouTube on this. Like I called it like my, and I don't. It was not necessarily correct, but like the alter ego, the 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 two identities. I had this lovely care and really nice person. You know what you seen on the run this morning? What that lady in the car park that day had? You know you have an Olympian or someone that's going to be an Olympian in ten weeks. You know down wrenching a tire off, and well, there's all these other people walking past and they just leave her. People don't even let me out of the street anymore when I'm trying to go left up the road. Never mind change a bloody tire. Yeah. And there I am, no care in the world, not even thinking about the Olympics, just being a good person. Um, same as like if I seen a lady with a pram, I'd carry her on the bus, and and it should be helpful. And I had this person here, and then I had this, you know, fucking bastard that just every now and again let me down. And and it it was still a part of me, it is still a part of me. It's kind of the emotional side that we all have. And maybe when you lose your temper or, or maybe when you're impatient or, and, and some of it wasn't just like, doing something bad or doing something naughty. It's not It's not like stealing or anything like this, it's more, 
you put a plan in place and then you got real anxious about the plan or stressed or you overcomplicated things or you let anxiety build up and then you canceled the plan and bailed. And then I talked about how then this really nice person, and sometimes that affected others, sometimes it upset others, sometimes people, other people didn't understand, you know, previous girlfriends, relationships I've been in, coach, athlete relationships I've been in. And I talked about how then this nice person had to wake up and deal with the consequences. And, and like, you know, the day I told the psychiatrist all about this, I'm kind of crying my eyes out because I'm like, that, that it doesn't seem fair that just because I can't handle sometimes the emotions or the anxiety or things that are building up or the stress, I make decisions, react, do things, and then the, the good guy, the nice guy, has to deal with the consequences. And, and so we put things in place that just start helping this, the emotional blah, blah, blah. This, this person was great, you know, the nice person, he was lovingly. But this, this person here, which is still me, needed a bit of help. And, and most people aren't willing to accept when they need a help because they think they have done something or they think something's wrong with, and, and there's, a, there's an idea behind sports psychiatry, I'm speaking to a sports psychiatrist, that you're like, you're on the bus to the nut house, like, you know, you're, you're about to be like banging your head off the window, like, ah. And, and it's really not like that. Sometimes it's just you, you, I've learned ways to cope with reestay, cope with nerves, cope with pressure, cope with building anxiety. Oh, I've learned how to deal with that through techniques. No one had ever taught me the techniques to deal with like, what do you do when, you know, like let's talk about a relationship where you're literally putting your heart on your sleeve and depending on someone else with all their emotions and all their issues that are going on and, and, and you have to cope with that. You're not really ever taught how do you cope with when they're having a bad day and not let it impact your little day? And, and so I just needed to learn coping mechanisms to cope with life, you know? And, and, and this was a sports psychiatrist and he probably at first was thinking maybe I needed help with sport race day and, and all the rest of it. And I'd have a session with him on the Thursday, did have a session with him on the Thursday and then show up to Lauren on the Saturday and run 6108. I wasn't broken, you know, you're not, just because you seek help or you think you need help, you're not broken. You just, perhaps for me, I just decided that maybe maybe it's the athlete in me, but I just wanted my life to be better. I, I wasn't going to accept that. I think a lot of people move to like acceptance. They accept themselves for how they are and they accept the people around them for how they are. And And this isn't necessarily true, but that could be that you accept that after you have four pints of beer, you smash a bottle. Maybe that's what you do. Every time, four pints, you throw the bottle. And, and people around you just adapt and accept, oh, he always does that, you know? I just decided I'm not gonna accept that no more because that feeds into, you know, the person that I want to be and this nice person, all the rest of it. He then struggles, he doesn't like it, so I'm gonna help this other person. And that that really was a brilliant process to go through that with a psychiatrist. And that's now, I'm now feeling this Olympic buildup. It's mad that I go on to run 6108 and 209, struggling with all this. Um, but it's the first longish period of my life that I haven't felt the need 
I'm normally running away from situations. I'm normally running away from a camp because of stress and anxiety. I'm normally at home for a while. And then I don't know if stress and anxiety that used to build up would be why I'd go out and get really pissed and drunk. I don't know. I could never pinpoint always. But normally then I'd go out and get really pissed and really drunk and wake up really disappointed and sad and, and you know, words like depressed. And, and then I would book a flight and run away. It's the first time in my life I'm kind of like, like I've said, I'm booking an altitude camp because I know it's important rather than my agent would have bet a lot of money three weeks ago that I'd already be back there because he'd have banked on, he'll go home, he'll go out and get, you know, fucked drinking and then he'll book a flight and run away. And so it's kind of weird for me. It's kind of like, shit, I could actually stay at home because I'm not acting a wag and I did talk about giving up drinking. And, um, and it's been a real nice transition because a life's been a lot more consistent training's been a lot more consistent um, and i and i'm really excited about i think as a result of that my results will get better um but i'm also just excited that the highs and lows won't be as the low won't be as low if i don't run as well because i'll know i'm still happy i'll know i'm still a good person i'll know you know people still love me and things like this um but I remember when I first spoke to a psychiatrist asking him that I didn't want to, I was worried that if I fixed some of the issues, it would make me a worse athlete. And he was like, nonsense, you know, and, and it's been really good. Yeah. Thanks for being so open and honest with us, Stephen. It's, you know, much appreciated. And one of the reasons why we were keen to partner with you as a brand, because you're so open with everyone. But, um, you know, let's go and ch chat a bit about your successes. You know, you've shared, you know, very openly about your challenges, but what's been your biggest highlight of your career so far? Um, you know, interesting. So my first Irish Fest was really cool to 2006 to make World Cross first ever international vest. I think it's huge for any athlete. Um, qualifying for the Olympics was probably... It was probably expected, so um, not as big a high as the likes of Dublin Marathon. When I came off the, when I came off the disappointment of Doha, which was a real disappointment for me, I was really sad after that and things like this. And to then three weeks later go to somewhere like Dublin, and come second. You know, I was in tenth place, I think, with four miles to go, and to just close as well as I did, and and. Not that I wanted to be in 10th, but I purposely took the first 20 mile a bit easier because I didn't know if I'd be tired from Doha. Um, and then to finish like I did was, was absolutely amazing. I think the fact it was in Dublin was huge. Um, there's an athlete called Meb Kifledsky, an American Olympic medalist, and he runs Boston in April, New York in November. Boston, New York, Boston, New York. I think he did it 10 times before he won, um, he, won he won Boston. I think he won both actually, Boston and New York. But I sort of thought I should just build a career on running Belfast in April and Dublin in October. And you'd build a really good career, you know? And um, yeah, so probably highest high was probably definitely Dublin actually. Um, but what's really interesting about high highs is not the whole day you, you run a good result. Well, when I do at the minute, my phone, poof, light up, poof, light up, poof, light up, poof, light up. Um, 48 hours later, I'm 
back in my apartment, it's quiet, the phone's not lighting up anymore and life just goes back to normal. And, and I guess what you learn from that or what you have to take away from that is you have to enjoy I said, uh, we ran with Noel there this morning and I said to Noel yesterday that like the Olympics has already started. If you're going to enjoy the Olympics, it has to have already started. Your run today, your training tomorrow, you have to enjoy that process of getting to the potential high. But otherwise you set the high up to need it to be something that it cannot possibly be. A high like Dublin or a big race can only last for the big good feeling can only last probably for 24 hours. And then a week later, you might smile about it, but it's much lower. So it's actually more important to enjoy the journey. And, and so with that in mind, I've, I've much more enjoyed my journey in general and training and racing and over these past, yeah, certainly the last year. Um, but no, some, I, I think it was before Houston in 20, 2020 and I made myself look myself in the mirror in the eye and tell myself I'm proud of myself right and I go oh I'm really proud of you and I'm like you little fruit do it again (laughs) and I brought myself to tears because it's just something we don't do and and I think you sometimes I look back at training and I did before London last year and go wow and then there's probably times I look back at races and go, I don't know how you did that, you know? And there, so there really is a proud um, feeling, but also I think it's a shame that it takes us so long to look back and be like, because we're always looking at the next goal and the next goal. And, and that's a good way to be. But equally, I think it's very important to look back and reflect and, and genuinely give yourself the credit that you deserve for some of the things you've already achieved in life. And I mean that for everybody, um, not just, you don't have to run PBs. Application to training, the fact you go out on the days of training, the fact you push yourself, you challenge yourself, you, you help people around you, you challenge people around you, reflect on everything mm-hmm. and um, yeah, be proud of yourself. So is that a goal to win Dublin one day? Oh yeah, when, it's not a goal. It's... <laughs> mm. In 2018, I must have 10 double whiskeys in me and I told the race organizers I'd win and they said they knew and I must have been 10th that day and they were giving everybody else credit I'd got beat by a couple of other Irish people and I said yeah but they could never win and I can and they were like we know and they were not being disrespectful to the competition the competition that day was amazing and it was such a brilliant day you know we had a guy called Gary O'Hanlon was fantastic um, and, and ran super and, you know, well-deserved national champion. Um, but I think it spoke volumes for the potential that they thought that I had, the fact that I was leading the race before I started struggling. And, you know, I promised that I'd come back and win. So um, hopefully, you know, touch wood, I, I'm given the opportunity mm-hmm. at some point and health's in a good place. And, you know, with COVID, we're actually allowed to race, but, you know, that would be one of the big goals, yeah. yeah. And what other, other ambitions then in the sport? What else do you want to achieve? Um, you know, I, it, it's kind of like, a, and I don't, I, I wish I knew more sayings because I'm going to say it's like a double-edged sword, but it's not because that doesn't make sense. But, 
you're remembered for the big days, Dublin, Houston, London, but I've always dealt with tougher courses, tough weather, maybe by yourself, running by yourself. And so I could say my ambition is to prepare well and be given a really fair shot at running fast, as in like maybe some company, maybe less wind than 15 mile per hour. Genuinely have not raced the marathon in the last three years with less wind than 15 mile per hour. That would be really nice. Um, and maybe not rain and hail storms would be cool. Um, not going the wrong way would be really cool. The course actually being marked. Um, but the reason, and I don't know what the phrase would have been, but the reason it's kind of people appreciate and respect. Okay. The day that the runner race and of the top 30 finishers, 25 people get a personal best. There's five national records, et cetera, et cetera. Nobody really cares. Times are fast. People look at it and go, I do anyway. I look at it and go, they were giving out PBs that day. They were giving them out like fun coupons. So I kind of want a day like that where I can get a fun coupon and get a really fast one. But at the same time, I think you're remembered for like the real tough days that you gritted it out. You know, I think at London Marathon, I ran 209. I want to say of the, of the top 20 elites in the male and female, three people ran personal bests. You know, that's the kind of day where people go, fuck me. Like, you know, beast, you know, and that, that speaks volumes. But at the same time, I think you do want your fun coupons because that's when you break national records and, and that's when your, your name is written down on a piece of paper in history. But actually, it was probably one of the more easier results. And so the people that are in your era might not be as impressed by days like that as they are with the days where you really get stuck in and um, beat the the odds, so to speak. Cool, cool. Thank you. And so you've decided to partner with HBHM. Mm -hmm. We we clearly approached you and asked you and you were very receptive to it. So why did you decide to come on board with us? Um, So, I mean, I I do think, like, first of all, I've I've got quite lucky Probably 10 years ago, I'd have partnered with anybody because I was skinned and life was tough in that attic. Um, no, but in all seriousness, um, I, I've, I've got to a place where because of running, you know, I've, I've been doing quite well. And so I, I really wouldn't just partner with anybody anymore. And, um, you know, when, when you got in touch and, and I, you know, sort of checked out what the company was about, any, any company or any idea that centers around not just you know the the slogan of healthy body healthy mind i'm such an advocate of healthy mind way way more than like i've talked about race results and that includes my own mind i'd rather run bad but finish being like happy and and in a good place and i'll never whether or not it'll hold me back in sport I'll never, ever, ever take sport to the extreme of self-harm, not eating, the, all these kind of balance. That I, I appreciate balance in life. And the word balance in professional sport is a loose term, but balance as much as it can be to be competitive. Yeah. Um, but there's people would take 
drugs that are could enhance their performance but bad for their body and um, there's people that would you know i know athletes would choose not to eat would choose to run through injury self-harm almost but your brain you're not you're just because your body gets away with it doesn't mean that your mind or your brain gets away with it and so I'm huge on, um, you know, mental health. I've built a podcast around it. You know, the podcast, for what it's worth, probably talks way more about the struggles in life psychologically than it does about um, actual training. And like I say, that's what Strava's for. And I very rarely mention splits or anything like that. But yeah, I think when when a company's willing to not just center their focus on um, sales and, and big profit margins and all things like this, and they actually care about the you know clients and, and future clients, and they want to help um, create positivity and, and show the benefits of healthy mind and, and show the benefits maybe of things like running and yoga and stretching and podcasts and meditation on, on your psychology and good sleep and all these things. You know, I'm all for that. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think we're both on a very similar page in terms of now whether we end up being successful or not (laughs) but at least we have the right ideas at heart about what we're trying to do for an audience Um, and I think we've both we both are on the same page that we'd rather have well okay we'd rather have a smaller audience that we really impact and really help and you know have a a better life and a happier life and all these things than a million but a million would be really great because yeah. then we'd be rich. <laughs> so maybe like somewhere in the middle. middle yeah. um, but no, but in all seriousness, you know, um, I, I reckon we are more towards that we'd rather impact people yeah. in a healthy and positive way. And, and hopefully then people pick up that yeah, and exactly. it creates a success. Yeah. But um, yeah, really that healthy mind and of course healthy body. Yeah. Nice one. Thank you. And you've obviously given a lot of tips throughout the course yeah. of this podcast, but you know, round it up like I always do for all our listeners. Mm-hmm. I want to just get your top tip in three areas. So your top tip for improving performance, your top tip for improving recovery, mm-hmm. and your top tip for improving sleep. So first of all, improving performance. Um, improving performance. Oh, I hate being like like everybody else, but honestly, like consistency will trump. <sighs> I have to say two things. Consistency will trump. Everyone's graded a day. Everyone's graded a week. Find something sustainable, an amount that you can train sustainably over a longish period of time to give your body a chance to get better. Don't force it. Allow your body to patiently get better. And the second tip would be not forcing it. So um, everyone wants to force training, you know, force race results to be faster. Um, and, and actually you can often take a tiny little step back, which is the mentality of live to fight another day. Um, and by living to fight another day, it's tomorrow that's going to make you better, not today. Okay, nice one. And about improving recovery? Improving recovery, um, you know, it probably nutrition. Um, and nutrition can be quite a wide spectrum of hydration too. So, um, fueling training properly leads to less damaged muscles post-training and then fueling post-training leads to more energy to train. We, you never think of it as like a car 
trying to force a car to drive without petrol. But a lot of a lot of runners just are oblivious to what sort of fuel they're putting into their body, whether there's any fuel in it whatsoever. Um, and actually, it's a big area that I've looked into. Um, and you know, now I wear the you know the live glucose tracking, and and that no, you don't need to wear a live glucose tracking. But and probably the reason I wear it is to hold myself accountable. To, I would now be really pissed off if I showed up to training, checked the app, and seen that I was underfueled because there's really no excuses. Um, and so, yeah, fueling center around nutrition again. You know, throw up YouTube. There's loads of tips, loads of help out there. Um, but timing of fueling, what you're fueling, um, and and that like you never ever ever in a million years would expect your car to drive empty. Why do runners expect their body to be okay? And then. Sometimes you're going to find yourself not motivated to run, and it genuinely probably is because you're underfueled. The days I really struggle in the sauna is the days I haven't had enough because I'm just done. I'm empty. You know, my body has nothing. And but yet you never ever ever blame nutrition. You blame it on fitness. You blame it on overworking. You blame it on overtraining. No, underfueling. Okay, and finally. Improving sleep, which can obviously help our recovery. Um, so sleep is huge, um, really, really, really huge. Um, shutting the body down an hour before bed to give it a chance to sleep. Um, a lot of people, God, I'm so bad at this, playing Call of Duty at 9.30. <laughs> I'm like, ah, you know, someone beats me, I throw the controller and then expect my body 15 minutes later. (laughs) All right, bedtime. You know, and and it doesn't work like that. So you have to give your body a chance. So that that kind of hour before you want to be asleep, just letting the day come to rest, letting your muscles relax, actually thinking about releasing tension, you know, releasing tension in the jaw, softening up your tongue. I used to lie in bed with my fists clenched. And I'd be like, what are you doing? Like, ah. like just relax in that hour before bed, taking a minute to just calm down. You know, you can turn the TV off. If the TV's still on, read your book or, you know, watch something lighthearted, Planet Earth, listen to David Attenborough, amazing. Um, just giving yourself a chance, pre-prepping yourself for when your wee head's going to hit the pillow, that you've already calmed everything down a little bit. You've thought about relaxing. You've thought about going to bed. And don't panic if you're not to sleep straight away you can't fight sleep just but if you're resting and you're in a relaxed state you're giving yourself the best chance of having a pretty good night's sleep or at least a pleasant rest awesome thank you and finally where can people find you or follow you where's the best place to follow you um, <clears throat> oh, everywhere i don't know <laughs> just google steven scott <laughs> um yeah look I, I i yeah i do the podcast um i've started dabbling a little bit with youtube um i do throw stuff on Strava and Twitter, Instagram, but you know, if, if, if it's something you want to do, you know, jump online and, and you'll find different platforms. So, um, thanks Perfect. a lot. Thanks for listening. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for coming on and all the very best with the Olympics and look forward to following yeah. your journey. I agree. Appreciate it. All right, all right. guys. Thanks a Cheers, lot. Cheers guys. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the latest episode of the HBHM podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Just a reminder that you can get 15% off at checkout on hbhm.com by putting in the code HBHMPOD. Please share the latest podcast on socials at Instagram. We are at HBHM official and we look forward to speaking to you next time.